cue is to breathe, not cough. A lot of you must have been mowing lawn yesterday or something. Uh, welcome to our series, State of Mind, where we're talking about how there are all kinds of whole life benefits from having a healthier mind. And we're also learning that, you know, this isn't just kind of uh, out there stuff, that, that God actually has a lot to say. We talked last week about mindset and the scripts that we run in our minds all the time and how um, God wants to transform us from the inside out, literally, with the renewing of our mind. And this whole thing is exciting to me because um, I think probably like a lot of you, I'm a growth-minded person. I have a growth mindset. As I think about life, every part of life, I want to grow. I want to keep getting better. I want to keep achieving. I I don't want to stay put. I feel like I've never arrived. I want to keep moving forward. Which means that in life, I'm always on the lookout for places where I can grow. I I look for gaps between where I am and where I could be or maybe even should be. And when I identify a gap, um, it creates some tension in me. I don't like to see those gaps. I feel a little bit of anxiety and tension. And and that tension and anxiety, it often motivates me then. I I don't want that tension to live on. And so I feel that tension and I I push it into action. and, And that action results in some sort of change. I decide to change my habits or to begin doing something or to stop doing something that's destructive. And, and often that whole thing works out so that I grow, I change. Uh, for those of you who are more visual, maybe it looks like this, right? I observe a gap somewhere where I'm falling short. There's a growth gap in my life that creates tension or anxiety when I see it. I, I don't want those gaps. I want to grow. That motivates action. That action stimulates growth, health, or even what the Bible calls righteousness, which is to be in a right relationship with God and people. And so often, this this works out for me really well. But sometimes it doesn't. There's this other side of it. Same mechanism. I observe a gap. I'm falling short. creates tension or anxiety in me. I'm motivated to action. And then as I take action, I run into the brick wall, full speed ahead, the brick wall of my own human limitations or temptation or personal weakness or struggle. And instead of seeing growth and health and righteousness, I'm left in pieces. I experience things like frustration, self-hatred, and despair. See, the same mechanism is at work that creates uh, both outcomes here. And I think for a lot of us, this is how we approach growth, through the same mechanism. And we win some, and we lose some, and we're just kind of okay with that. Even though this side of it is uh, is pretty frustrating, it's pretty dark. Uh, Maybe for you, this looks like this. Uh, You look in the mirror, and you observe that you don't look like you want to look. And that creates some tension in you. And you say, you know what, I've, I've got to cut out some of the junk that I'm eating. And, and so uh, you get rid of all the stuff in the house, right? All of the tempting stuff. You get rid of it and you've taken action, positive action that's going to help you grow and change. And then one day on the way home, you have an out-of-body experience and you find yourself in the drive through And before you know it, like you've just eaten some stuff that you said you weren't going to eat anymore and... The tension and the anxiety, the gap is still there, but now you can add to it a sense of deep disappointment, maybe even self-hatred. Or maybe you're someone who said, even after last week, I'm going to change my mindset, I'm going to change my script, I'm going to stop being so negative, and and you set out to do that, and then you have a week, kind of like I had last week, where it feels like everything that could fall apart did. 
and you find yourself still living in negativity, but now it's not just negativity. You're not just where you were before. Now it's negativity, and added to the negativity, the negative mindset that you have, is a feeling of failure. I tried to change, and I couldn't. You actually end up worse. Or maybe you say, I'm going to add in something healthy to my life. You've heard the guy up front talking about relationships and community and how those can be helpful. And so you say, I'm going to strike out. I'm going to, I'm going to build community. And you invite people into your life and you invite people to join you. And you keep, getting turn, you keep getting shut down, turned down. And now you're not only alone and you're not only aware of this gap in your life where you're missing something good that could be a great benefit to you, but you are alone and you're feeling lonelier than ever. You're feeling rejected. You're feeling unloved, unwanted. See, sometimes that mechanism works. We grow. And sometimes it does the exact opposite. We're left not only with that tension or that anxiety that we rely on to fuel our growth, but sometimes we're left in addition with that with a deep feeling of frustration, self-hatred, and all the rest. Now, I don't think this is the best way to grow. I think it's the way that a lot of us approach growth. Um, I believe there's a better way. And this way hinges on an idea called self-acceptance. Now, growing up in the church, I'll just tell you that self-acceptance to me still feels a little bit like psychobabble. Uh, you know, you got to learn to love yourself, whatever, right? I mean, that's just like, come on. Um, growing up in the church, not only does self-acceptance sound like psychobabble, it kind of sounds like heresy to me. With Romans 3.23 firmly emblazoned in my mind from the time I was young, anyone know Romans 3.23? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? No. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm ter- if you don't know it, like off your, I'm terrible at verse numbers and what they say. But yeah, uh, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. With this firmly in my mind growing up in the church, that all have sinned, that includes me, and that I fall short of God's standard, of God's glory, I, that, that I'm constantly falling short, I'm, I'm living in this place of sin. To me, that basically says, you know what, how can I be okay with me then? If I'm a sinner and I'm always falling short, how can I ever be okay with that? How can I ever accept that within myself? How can I ever learn self-acceptance? It sounds like heresies. See, for me, where I sit today, as a pastor, still it's true, I think that growing up in the church has both been one of the best and worst things that's ever happened to me. Best because the church is where I learned about having a relationship with Jesus, which is now the most important thing in all my life. Because it's in Jesus that I find greater hope and direction and love and purpose and fulfillment than anywhere or in anything else in any other relationship in my life. And it's the church I have to thank for that. The church is the place where I got to encounter Jesus again and again. The church is the place where I got to not only hear about Jesus in the Gospels and and learn more about him, but it's the place where I I got to encounter Jesus, gathered with others, singing, praying, and, and his very spirit would dwell in the room. The church is the place where I got to commune with Jesus later on in my life, and I I got to take his real presence into my own life. I owe everything to the church in that regard. I'm so grateful that I know Jesus because of the church. But on the other side, if I'm just completely real, the church has also taught me an anxious self-hatred 
that I just believed was from God, for all have sinned and fall short. A never-ending feeling that I don't measure up, that I'm not enough, that God doesn't accept where I am and, and I don't accept where I am either. And, and I want you to notice that, that when I say that, I say the church taught me that. The Bible didn't teach me that. This is one of those places where the Bible and the church are completely out of alignment, alignment with each other. See, see I want to make clear right now, God does not want us living with an anxious self-hatred. He wants the opposite. And if anyone says otherwise, well, I'm not even going to argue with you. In fact, I'm going to let you duke it out with Paul. Because uh, Paul was a leader of a lot of New Testament churches, wrote most of the New Testament, and he didn't mince words on this subject matter about where our approval comes from or how we get it. I want you to see what he says. Galatians chapter 1, as some people came into the church and they began to teach that there was all this stuff that we had to do to earn God's acceptance. Look what Paul says. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ, this acceptance from God, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I'm astonished that anyone would, would hear from me about this God who is about radical acceptance. I, I'm astonished that anyone would hear that and then they would, they would trade that in for some other gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And specifically what's going on here, the perversions that are happening in the Galatian church, and that's Paul's word, not mine, but the perversions that are happening there in that church is that people are coming in and they're saying, you know what? You don't measure up. But if you want to measure up, here's what you have to do. If you want God to accept you, if you want God to approve of you, then you've got to eat these kinds of foods. You have to celebrate these festivals. If you're a man, you have to be circumcised. And uh, you've got to follow all the laws that are written in the Old Testament if you want to be pleasing. And Paul says, what are you talking about? This is not the gospel we preach to you. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. I say it again, Paul says. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Paul is so adamant about this that he's willing to call down curses on angels. Saying even if an angel from heaven preaches this, they're wrong. They're so wrong on this issue. Now maybe for us as we're sitting here, we can't even get our minds around this. Like, like what? What is he talking about? Who would ever abandon the gospel of Jesus for something else? What does that even mean? But in reality, I think we know all too well what Paul means. Because we've all been lured in to the gospel of human acceptance. See, we crave this, don't we? I think deep down we all believe that if there was just a person or maybe a group of people who, who saw us for who we are uh, and, and if, if they would just accept us, if they would love us for who we are, if they would tell us that we're okay for who we are, that that would be the salve that would heal our broken hearts and ease our anxious minds, Right? And the truth is, that kind of acceptance is really, really powerful. It is. But the problem with this gospel is that too often it comes at too high a cost. I mean, how many of us here have compromised ourselves in some way or another at some point in our life to try to win the approval of someone else? Show hands. 
Yeah, frankly, I'm not sure what to think about those of you who didn't raise your hands right now. Either you're lying or maybe you're just really good at not doing the human... Ex- you're like, I don't care what you say, Dion. I'm not raising my hand. Maybe you're ahead of the rest of us. I don't know if I should honor you for that or be mad at you for that. I'm, I'm not really sure. But I, I, I think we've all compromised at one point or another in life in order to win the approval or the acceptance of someone else. And if compromise is too strong a word, we've all hustled, we've all tap danced, we've all bent over backwards at some point in our lives to try to make people like us. And of course, the cruel trick of that kind of acceptance going about it that way is that when you get there, when you find the acceptance that your heart is longing for, you realize that it's not even you that they're accepting. It's some projection. It's some figment of who you wish you could be. See, it's not only that that I think is is costly about this gospel of human acceptance. The greater cost is that when we trade in the true gospel for the gospel of human acceptance, then we, we really do miss out on true acceptance. True acceptance comes from God alone. The salve that our hearts long for, the the, the healing that our minds, our anxious minds long for, it can't come from people. It ultimately has to come from God. And, and it's life-changing. See, human acceptance is great, but, but here's the problem with it. It's unstable. It's wavering. It's fleeting. It will leave us hanging so often. See, see, the reason, though, that we trade in the gospel, the true gospel, the gospel of God's acceptance that Paul was so adamant about for the gospel of human acceptance isn't because we think this is better or more valuable. No. The reason we're willing to make this trade like the Galatians did is because the gospel of human acceptance, it doesn't feel more valuable. It feels more attainable. Right? Because who can please God? All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. God's, God, pleasing God, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? I mean, worse than picking out a gift for your dad on Father's Day. Dads are the worst. That's why we get socks, you know? Just, people just give up. They're just like, I can't, I can't please this person. It's impossible. Doesn't God seem a thousand times worse? It used to be ties, by the way, and then we stopped wearing ties, and now it's socks. But... Um, doesn't God seem worse? I mean, he's impossible to please. We, we cannot please him, right? No matter what, no matter what we do, it's never going to be enough. Wrong. Here's what I want you to do. Right now, I want you to close your eyes. And that includes all of you who refused to hold up your hand a minute ago. I want you to close your eyes. And I just want you to do this. I want you, to, I want you in your mind to uh, draw up a picture of God. What does he look like to you? When I, when I say that, you, you got to think of something. What is that? Just kind of pay attention to what that picture is. Um, is he like a person? Is he like something else? If he's like a person, if he kind of looks a little bit like a, a humanoid form, is he older? Is he young? What's his posture like? Is he standing? Is he sitting? Is he floating? Is he flying? What are his arms like? Are his arms crossed on his chest, folded? Are his hands at his side, relaxed? Are his arms open wide, waiting for an embrace? What's his face like? What do you see on his face? What are his eyes like? What, are, what is his mouth like? Are his lips curled down in a frown and his eyes glaring with intensity? Are his eyes bright, 
Is he smiling? Does he have a vacant look like he's not even looking at you? He's looking beyond you. He's, he's off somewhere else, unconcerned, apathetic. Just hold in your mind for a second a picture of who you see God to be, what, what, what he looks like, what his disposition is. Now go ahead and open your eyes. Make sure your neighbors open their eyes and they're not snoring, right? Elbow them. See, whatever that picture looks like for you, here's what I think, that we've often made God. And, and maybe Jesus is different, but when we say God and we think of maybe even God the Father, we've often made God into someone who seems impossible to please, whatever our picture is. But that's not an accurate picture. The truth is, the truth is that pleased is God's default. Pleased is who God is at his core. Theologians say that the anger, the wrath, the judgment, that's actually referred to as the alien work of God. It's not within his nature to do that stuff. And yet for so many of us, that's our picture. That's our go-to. Again, maybe Jesus is nice, but God the Father, he's angry. He's, you, you, gotta, you, you wanna tiptoe around him. You don't wanna make him mad, but that's not the accurate picture of God. If you're not sure about that, just go way back to the beginning. Go back to when God first starts to reveal himself to us. Go back to our starting point before sin comes into the world and everything gets complicated, just go back to creation. What's God like back then when in an artistic explosion he created a vast and complex and mysterious universe what, what do you learn from God then? And, and then when he created our planet with all of its beauty and diversity and splendor, I mean, you could spend a lifetime just exploring this planet and you would never get bored and you would discover new things all the time. What does that tell you about God? What's he like? What's his disposition toward us? And, and then when God created us, when, when he fashioned us and he called us the crown of his creation and there's nothing like us in our complexity and our beauty and our originality, when he created us and, and he bubbled over in delight when he foresaw us and he declared over us that we are very good, what do you learn about God there? What do you see? Or when God then took the keys of creation and placed them in our hands and said, you know what, all of this, it's yours, it's a gift, no strings attached, I want you to have it. What do you see about God there? This, of course, is coming from a guy who just welcomed a teenage driver into his household, and so we had to get a new car, and uh, that so-called gift, man, I, there's so many strings on that thing, I've told my daughter, this is not your car, this is my car, you get to drive the car, but it's my car, I'll take that car back whenever I feel like you're not acting right, right? This is how we do it with gifts, we're all kinds of strings, I mean, so many strings around that gift that Gloria Allred wouldn't even know what to do with that. She couldn't even figure out how to get it free, right? That's how we give gifts, but, 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 but when you go back to creation and you see God there, what do, you, what do you see? What's he like? What's his disposition toward us? You see that he's good. He's creative and he's powerful, but what, what else? You see that he's giving. He's so generous. He puts this into our hands, gives us all this. Are you kidding me? Not only that, you see that God is delighted in us. 
He's so pleased. Now fast forward, fast forward all the way to Jesus through the complications of our sinful world and and, and the betrayal that we've uh, brought between us and God and the enmity and the warfare back and forth and the lack of trust and the chaos and the pain and the suffering that we have brought into the world through human sin. But when you get to the person of Jesus, again, what do you see about God? When Jesus interacts with people, when he teaches them, what do you see? When Jesus welcomes sinners into his midst and, and, he, and he loves them, what do, you, what do you see? When Jesus goes to people who are suffering and they're in need of healing and he heals them, what do you see about God there? When Jesus gives up his life, what do you see about God? What's he like? What's his disposition? When Jesus comes back from the dead, when he rises from the dead and he appears to the very people who a few hours before betrayed him, abandoned him, left him in his hour of greatest need, and he stands before them alive and he doesn't say... Oh, you asked for it, right? He says, he says, peace, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. What do you see about God? You see that he's good, don't you? He's creative and he's powerful. I mean, he can come back from the dead and he can heal and, and you see that he's giving and he's so generous. And you see that he's pleased with us. He delights in us. Understand there is continuity from creation all the way through redemption. There is complete continuity. We serve a God who is good. He's creative and powerful. He's giving and generous. He delights in us, in his nature, in his being. He is pleased. And this is the gospel. This is the true gospel that Paul was so adamant that people would accept that God is pleased We are accepted, and there's nothing that we have to do to earn his acceptance. And Paul's mindset is that if if I have this from God, if I have a God who accepts me in this way, then what do I need human acceptance for? To let go of this, this thing that I have from God, to trade it up for something else? Why would I ever do that? Are you kidding me? Why would I let that go to have something else? Look, Look what Paul says in Galatians as he goes on. He says, you just cursed the angels who might say anything otherwise. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? What's more important? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul had to do all kinds of things that made people mad. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not from human human origin. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by anyone else. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus himself. For you have heard about my previous way of life. You know where I came from. My previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church. And we, again, we all know that tension when we see a gap in us or we see a gap in the world. In Paul, he was living by that gap. He was you know, tension, intensity, action. I intensely persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it because I didn't like what I saw. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. I was winning the approval of many. Paul says. People were noticing me. Old and young applauded me because of how I was advancing, how I was growing, how I was moving forward in this zeal. But when God, and I love this, when God who set me apart from my mother's womb, see this is how far back it goes. Paul says, before I ever saw the light of day, 
when, when I was still a baby being fashioned in my mother's womb, God had a purpose and an intention over my life. He, he was already doing something in me. He loved me even back then. When, when he did that, when he set me apart and he called me by his grace, when that happened, when that God was pleased, notice that word, when that God was pleased, he's pleased, right? When he was pleased to reveal his son, not just to me, but to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, when all that happened, my immediate response, when I received that, when I got it, when, when God's love for me became clear, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Why? I didn't go up to Jerusalem to seek the approval of those who were apostles before I, before I was. But instead, I went off and I did my own thing in Arabia. I let, I let God lead me. See, what Paul's saying is, once I got it, that, that God at his core is pleased with me, that he accepts me, that he delights in me, that he loves me, I, I stopped playing the human acceptance game. Because why, not just because I'm good or holy, because why would I ever trade in something so amazing for something so much less? And I want you to see how deep this goes in Paul because it goes even beyond human acceptance and, and that lure of the gospel of human acceptance and it goes straight to the heart of Paul learning what we all need to learn in this place today, which is self Acceptance. It's not psychobabble. It's biblical. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, this is where he got later on. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. You hear that? Like I'm totally over this human acceptance thing, Paul says. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. Now for some of us, this is all we do. Maybe it's not even other people that we're trying to please, but all day long there is that voice inside of our heads and, and, and we're just, we're just you know, critiquing everything we do, every interaction. Well, that was dumb. Every thought, I, I can't believe you'd think that. We're constantly just evaluating how much we're falling short. We're looking at the gaps in our lives over and over again. We're living in this place of tension and anxiety and self-hate. And Paul says, you know what? Now, now that I get it, now that I get who God is, now that I get how God sees me, I don't care anymore. You, you can judge me. Human court can judge me. I don't even judge myself, Paul says. This is revolutionary. He goes on and he says, my conscience is clear. Like I don't even think about this stuff anymore. The tension is gone. The anxiety is gone. But he says, hey, but, but realize that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. My conscience is clear, but I don't know. Ultimately, it's the Lord's job to judge me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. Why do this to yourself now? Because at that time, he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. See, even with your most critical self, your most critical eyes, your most soul-searching vision, you can't see it all. It's hidden. But Jesus can and when he comes, when he comes, he'll reveal it all. And Paul says, so I don't even bother with it now. I don't care if you judge me. I don't even judge myself anymore. I'm going to wait until Jesus comes and he'll expose all that. But notice this, what he says. He says, and at that time when Jesus comes to judge, each will receive their praise from God. Notice he doesn't say, and at that time, Jesus is going to set me straight from all the dark things that are in my heart. See, for Paul, he says, when Jesus comes, I'm not going to receive rebuke or condemnation 
Paul says, when Jesus comes, because I live under his gospel, at that time, even though there's darkness in me and there's stuff that's not right in me, at that time, I, along with everyone else, will receive their what? Praise from God. See, this is the true gospel. That God is delighted in you. God is pleased. God accepts you right where you are for who you are as you are. And I know it sounds too good to be true. And that's why we often live like it is. And we have all these objections in our mind, maybe even some right now, but wait a minute, if that's true, if I don't have to earn God's acceptance, if there's nothing I have to do, if it's just who God is, if that's his disposition towards me, if he's just willing to offer that to me, I mean, then how am I ever going to grow? What's going to happen to society? Won't people just do whatever they want? Like, like if, if the carrot isn't hanging in front of me, if God doesn't dangle that carrot, or if he doesn't dangle the stick in front of me to say, hey, hey, watch it, you better be careful, I'm not happy with you, you got to clean up your act, then how am I ever going to grow? How am I ever going to change? How am I ever going to move forward? How, how am I not going to be just a wretched person who goes around hurting other people all the time? See, on one hand, Paul's confidence, his assurance, it sounds great, doesn't it? It sounds finally like the Sabbath will heal our broken hearts and ease our anxious minds, but it seems impossible and impractical, and it seems maybe even destructive if we live this way. It would not be good, would it? And so we start playing games. You know these games. Maybe you don't know the name, but but the grace legalism game. All Christians talk about grace. All of us do. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not from ourselves, not by our works, but by the works of God. And then we say, but wait a minute. It can't be that easy. And so we add to it and we say, yeah, that's true. There, there's grace, but you gotta. You know the but you gotta's in your life, right? But, but, but you gotta repent. You gotta try hard. You gotta be faithful. You got to come to church. You got to read your Bible. You got to have a heart that seeks after God. You got to, you got to, you got to. And pretty soon we've, we've taken this, this truth that God in his fundamental disposition is pleased with us. He delights in us. He longs to accept us and bring us into his family. And, and we weigh it down with all kinds of, but you got us. And then that leads to the loophole game if you don't know about a loophole game, the loophole game, I'll tell you, I went to a Lutheran college. If you want to see the loophole game in all of its glory, take a bunch of young people who are raging with all kinds of appetites um, and uh, give them enough grace and enough legalism, and then pretty soon we get into all these, all these technicalities. By the way, th- this, this is what we do within the persons of the Trinity when we divide them up and we make their character and disposition different. And we say, yeah, I mean, Jesus is undeniably nice and he's good and he's our get out of jail free card, but you got to watch out for that God the Father, man. He'll, he'll get you. He's got expectations and he's not messing around, right? right? We're, we're looking for the loophole. God is fundamentally angry. He is displeased with us, but good thing we have Jesus. He's our loophole. Or we play the human acceptance is easier game. Some of us just throw up our hands and go, who can please God? I'm going to please people because we all need acceptance. We need it. We say, I'd rather put my... You know, all my chips on people because who's ever going to please God? Or back to where we started, the self-hatred is a great motivator game. If I can just conjure up enough disgust with myself, 
and where I am right now, then maybe I'll be motivated to change or to grow or to do something different. But I'll tell you what, if you want to grow, if you want to change, if you want to become more whole, and if you don't want to be an anxious mess, if you don't want to deal with the whole other side of the diagram that I showed you earlier, if, if you want to grow, but you also want to experience the fruit of the Spirit that are joy and life and peace, then we've got to stop playing all of these games. And we've got to stop projecting the way we do human acceptance with all of the strings attached. We've got to stop putting that on God because that's not who God is and that's not, that's not his, that's our issue. And eventually we've we got to get to the place where Paul was, where he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God accepts me just as I am for who I am, then who am I to argue? If God loves me, then who am I to disagree? See, we also need to understand what self-acceptance isn't. Self-acceptance, is, it isn't apathy. It's not callousness or numbness. Um, it's, it's, not even, it's not even affirmation. In our culture, I think we're getting this all wrong right now. We've kind of leapfrogged over this need for acceptance, and we've gone straight to affirmation. So we no longer say, hey, is there someone out there who will accept me for who I am, where I am, how I am? Instead, we're saying, no, 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 I, I need people to affirm me for who I am, where I am, and how I am. And you know, that, that's, just, that's just foolish. That's not even helpful. That's not helpful to anybody. A couple of weeks ago, Jocelyn and I, we celebrated 19 years of marriage, which I know for some of you is just a blink of an eye. But uh, for Jocelyn and I, in 19 years of marriage, I, I think it's only the last year or two that we've finally given up on trying to change each other and wishing that we could be different and we started to put all of that energy into just loving one another and accepting one another as we are. And Jocelyn started doing it first and I experienced that and I just thought, whoa, something's changed. And uh, it motivated me to want to give that back to her and we're still, you know, miles, miles and miles to go but um, that was a life-changing thing for me and, and here's what I can say that even after 60 years of marriage, there will be things about that woman that I will never affirm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you've ever been in a relationship? And her list is twice as long. It's okay, and it's all legitimate. I mean, there are things about me that should not be affirmed because they're not good. They're not healthy. We're not talking about affirmation. We don't have to say, hey, everything about you is great. There's something richer than that. That's not even honest. There's something richer that God wants us to have that we can have in our relationships with each other. But first and foremost, it comes from God, and that is, hey, even though you are as you are and there's a lot about you that I can't ever affirm, I love you. And I accept what's before me just as it is. See, see, here's, if you're looking for a, kind of what this sounds like, uh, what this looks like, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Learning to say to ourselves, where I am is okay, even though there's further to go. Say this with me. Where I am is okay, even though there's further to go. One more time. Where I am is okay, even though there's further to go. It is so hard for us to believe both of these things can be true. It's always either or with us, but, but both are true. Where you are is okay. 
And if you're saying to yourself, if I can just get a little further down the road, then maybe God will love me more. You couldn't be more wrong because the truth is God could not love you any more right now than he already does. When our ancestors, when, when members of the human race, I mean, just get this, get your mind around this, that when our ancestors, member, members of the human race, were taking the Son of God who came to show us love and grace to reveal who God is, and we were crying out for his murder, for his execution, when we were showing just how depraved our spirits can be and how, how against we are the things of God, in that very moment when we were showing nothing but ugliness and hate towards God, do you know what God was doing as we were crying out for the murder of his Son? As we were crucifying him, do you know what God was doing? He was turning all of that around into a peace offering that would set us free. In that moment, God was loving us with with a greater love than anyone could ever know at our absolute worst. And today as you sit here, I don't know if you think highly of yourself, if you think lowly of yourself, whatever it is, the reality is it doesn't matter. God could not possibly love you more a week from now when you're much more grown, further down the road, more sanctum. He couldn't love you more than he does right now because he already loves you more than you can imagine. So you know what that means? Where you are is okay. So you look at yourself and you see things that need to change. Hey, in God's sight, where I am is okay. And if God, if God says where I'm is okay, then I don't care what people think. I, I'm going to stop judging myself, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. Where I am is okay. And there's this other part to it, because both things are true. Where I am is okay, even though there's further to go. See, there's further for us to go. None of us, us want to stay here, right? None of us want to stay stuck. Ahead of us, if we're willing to keep going, there's more life. There's more wholeness. There's more freedom. There's there's more blessing if we're willing to just keep moving forward. So where I am right now is okay. Even though there's further to go. See, all Christians talk about grace. But few of us are willing to actually live by it. But today you've encountered it. I've shared it with you and it's true. That God at his core is pleased with you. He's delighted with you. He's proved that throughout all of time. And today I just want to declare to you that you are loved completely and fully. You are accepted by a good, creative, powerful, by a generous and giving, by a a God who is pleased with you, a God who is delighted in you. And so where you are is okay, even though there's further to go. And if you accept this truth, if you can just accept it, if you can learn to accept yourself as you are today, then not only will your mind, your tortured, anxious mind, not only will it find peace, but you know what else will happen? You will begin to grow. begin to change. God's view of you will start to become reality. And you'll grow and you will change. But you do so without the anxiety and the torture and the self-hatred. You'll do so with love and joy and peace. Your mind will find rest. And you'll learn what it means to grow 
under grace. See, that's what I want for me as a growth-minded person to get out of the sometimes effective mechanism I have to force myself into growth and to learn what it means to grow under God's favor. That's what I want for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that right now, God, I sense it in my spirit. And I know it's true across this this room and for everyone who's hearing this. I know that right now, there's something in us fighting against this truth. And God, I pray right now that you would arrest that part of ourselves, whether it's part of our created being, whether it's the evil one, whether it's some other voice that's been implanted, I don't know, God, but will you, will you fight against that? Will you arrest it? Will you, will you bind it? We pray that you will silence it in the name of Jesus. So that instead we can hear only your gospel truth being spoken over us, that you are a good and giving generous God and you are delighted in us you are pleased with us you long to be in relationship with us you just want to accept us God I pray that whatever in us right now is fighting against it that you would arrest that part of us that you would bring it to surrender so that our minds can know peace so that our broken hearts can find healing and so that we can move along and grow under your love, under your acceptance with a strong sense of self-acceptance living under grace true grace we pray it in the name of Jesus Amen